Master panel. I am Sarah Hanisco. I will be your moderator for this panel. You can find me on a bunch of podcasts, such as Geek Parenting Podcast, Push My Buttons Podcast, and Heroes Feast, where I play with two of these weirdos. So, yeah. <laughs> we so, are weird. Yes. 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 So we're just going to go down the row. I want you guys to introduce yourselves, where we can find you online anywhere, and uh, what you've done D&D-wise. Okay. Uh, I'm Alex Springer. Uh, let's see. I write for City Weekly. I write the food column. Um, I've written for Slug Magazine a little bit about lots of different things, but currently writing for City Weekly, also on Heroes Feast. Um, let's see. D&D wise, uh, I I got my two uh, nieces interested in Dungeons and Dragons recently, and that's been pretty fun. So, yeah, that's my accomplishment. My name is Mike Sonora. You're I'm... hot. <laughs> true we're all thinking it <laughs> um my name's mike sonora i'm part of the well i'm an occasional guest on the nerd dome podcast i write articles for them uh, specifically about tabletop rpgs uh it's kind of my niche um i yeah you can find me on twitter you can find me just ranting about stuff about wizards and, and things like the wizards of the coast i've been a dm slash game master for about 18 years i've been doing it since middle school elementary school um and i i do everything from Dungeons and Dragons from from at AD and D the second edition all the way up to current uh, GURPS Pathfinder Star Wars a variety of games I'm reading into the Pokemon United tabletop RPG that's free right now uh, I just read rule books for fun <laughs> yeah. uh, so my name is Tyson Acri I work at Oasis Games in downtown Salt Lake you can't find me online I'm a ghost. Um, I play Dungeons and Dragons is kind of my main game but I play Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I play RuneQuest, HeroQuest. There's pretty much nothing I won't play. Uh, I'm Jeremy Christensen. I kind of represent the, the the noob DM voice on the panel. I've been DMing for, uh, what, like four months? Yeah. Something like that. I've done a little bit here and there, uh, but uh, I'm the DM on the Heroes Feast podcast and on Heroes Feast After Hours, which is coming soon. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jared Christensen. Uh, hi, my name is Jason Charles Miller. Uh, I'm a voice actor, but specifically I host a show on Geek and Sundry mm-hmm. called Starter Kit, where we teach people how to play. If you don't watch it, watch it, guys. It's so good. It's good. And, uh, thank you. Uh, I've also been on Critical Role. Uh, I've written all yeah. the theme songs for Critical Role. Uh, and let's see, for 14 months I was on a show called Foreververse, where we jumped from RPG to RPG, uh, also on uh, Geek and Sundry. So I've been DMing since I was 10, uh, creating my own, uh, you know, been world building since I was about 10. So um, I don't even want to tell you how old I am, but it's a long time. Right, so I actually want to get started with how, how did you guys discover Dungeons and Dragons? What drew you to it? Why did you want to start playing it in the first place? And a, it can, this can be a conversation. You guys yeah. can go back and forth and talk to each other and talk to the audience. That's kind of how I, I run my class. I was thinking about it the other day, how it's like Legos, but with story structure, and that's what it reminds me of. It's like you have all of these pieces, and you can build whatever you want out of it. So, And then you don't step on sharp objects in the middle of the night. <laughs> and le, I mean, unless you have also are playing with Legos as well, but yeah. So, yeah. How did you get but, started in, in Dungeons & Dragons? Um, so I'm fairly new. I guess fourth edition was when my friends and I kind of started picking it up, and we would just play every couple weeks or so. And um, 
I don't know. Just since that, it, it was always a good excuse for us to go just kind of hang out. We've all kind of been interested in that, in, in like fantasy and role playing and stuff like that. So it was a good excuse to just make a make an make time to go hang out with one another. But then since playing that, and I guess I've, I've I like to write and come up with stories as well. But it just feels like I don't know. It's one of those experiences where you just can make something happen and I guess it's kind of like improv too like where you're just working with other people to make a cool story and I've always liked that so I'm totally opposite <laughs> um so I uh, people that that were around in the 80s you'll know like there was the satanic panic when it came to Dungeons and Dragons and I I mean I was born in the 80s but I carried off into the 90s a little bit and I was like curious like I was <laughs> like oh this is dumb but I want to give it a shot and so my cousin had moved in with us and he had like three boxes of all the second edition and some first edition books and so I was just reading it and I was like this this isn't like satanic this is math <laughs> which is satanic in its yeah, own way sure. it could be. Um, but from there that's when I made my first character he was a thief in second edition and uh, from there I had some other friends that moved in from Hawaii that played it frequently and so that was my first time uh, doing being a dungeon master and I just got into it from there Like you know, I took stuff that I would write and try and turn it into a campaign and then have it all thrown out the window whenever we played Like it's, <laughs> that's how I got into it uh, for me, it started with uh, uh, an old video game, actually, called Baldur's Gate. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that was my first taste, and forgive me if I'm wrong, I believe it used second edition or AD&D it, rules. Yeah, AD&D. Yeah, yeah, it was AD&D. And that was my first taste of the whole D&D world, and obviously it didn't have the, the storytelling aspects of, like, sitting down at a mm -hmm. table. I mean, obviously there was a story, but it didn't change on the fly. It's on sale at Steam right now. It is on sale. Yeah. It's a great yeah. game. You should get it. Um... But yeah, so that was my first taste of like the rules and rolling dice and the world of of, of Faerun and Forgotten Realms. And then when I was in high school, I I like I like many nerds had very few friends that weren't also nerds. And <laughs> we stick together. Exactly. <laughs> D&D was brought up one day and it kind of grew into a very healthy way for us to communicate and build social skills and it's now grown into, like, what I see it as now is essentially improv acting, especially as a DM. I, I'm, I'm the kind of DM that is, I focus on improv. I don't prepare as much as maybe I should sometimes, <laughs> but I'm very much more of an improvisational DM, and it's only horrible most of the time. <laughs> um, but that's, that's just how I see it, is kind of, a, it grew from just a social, healthy social environment into storytelling and creativity. I was a, a victim of the satanic panic. My, <laughs> my mom forbode us from playing. Uh, and, uh, and I was always really interested in it. I was really excited about it. Uh, but just for whatever reason, there wasn't other people to play with or, um, or it, it just things didn't work out until I was a grown man and uh, started listening to D&D podcasts. I got into... Uh, nerd poker when that was still around. I know they got the new one, but it's not as good. Um, <laughs> they got the uh, uh, Dungeons and Drag or Drunks and Dragons, excuse me. Uh, Adventure Zone, uh, Critical Role, of course. Uh, and and listening to all of these and hearing the camaraderie and stuff, I got really interested in in having that. And I was like, I'm I'm a grown man. I don't play D and D. And now I'm hearing other adults playing this game and and having a great time and bonding. And so uh, years ago, I started uh, 
trying to drag my friends into playing D&D during our lunch breaks at work. And uh, then I switched jobs, and now I got it going at where I'm working now, too. And, and it's great, because it gives us all uh, a whole bunch of people from different backgrounds uh, a way to communicate with each other, like you're saying, um, and, and a way to, 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 to work through things in a creative way, in a very fun way. And I started realizing this is, the kids need this. This is great. This is a, a, a perfect way for people to, uh, to bond in a very real way um, over their fantasy characters. And so now I've, uh, I've started like teaching kids how to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, we've got a couple little groups going down, uh, uh, down south that are awesome. Their kids are, are learning and they're talking to each other more than they have before. And, and it's great. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah, there's a movie that came out, um, not to harp on the satanic panic thing, but there's a movie starring a very young Tom Hanks yeah. called Mazes yes. and Monsters. Classic. It's all about how D&D's evil. But uh, for me, I grew up in Virginia, and my next-door neighbor played D&D, and his mom encouraged it. So that really was, was really eye-opening for me. And then we would play it every day on the bus. And then, you know, I couldn't get enough. I would grab every book. I would, I would you know, spent a lot of my time just creating characters and creating worlds and having no one to play with. And then junior high school, high school, started playing with everybody in college. I started running my own campaigns. And, you know, now from um, being on a frequent guest star on Sirens of the Realms on the D&D Twitch channel, and then being on Foreververse and Critical Role, I'm like, wow, I'm actually getting paid to play Dungeons and Dragons, which is, I know, a very unique, elite, small portion of all of us <laughs> to do that. Are I, you hiring I, by chance? <laughs> I consider myself the luckiest D&D player in the oh. world. So, uh, and then uh, it sort of went full circle because as a voice actor, uh, I'm on. I'm actually the voice of Driss Duerden on Neverwinter Online. <laughs> yeah. oh. So uh, that's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Can I get your autograph later? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I a table back there. Oh man! <laughs> I went and visited him earlier. Get on the. Get on the I'll get on the ball. Okay, there you go. I'll be there. So uh, let's go this way this time, and I want to know what is your DM origin story. DM origin story. You mean like for like what got us into it? Yeah. Why did you start DMing? Well, I think for me it was I I was kind of isolated as a as a kid, and so uh, when my other neighbor moved away, I had this this gap where I didn't know too many kids that played D and D at my school, and so I just decided to just start creating everything, and then once I had the social uh, interaction again with with people, I had this whole world to bring so for for me it was almost like out of necessity i still wanted to play dnd i still wanted to be involved in it and not having anyone else to play with i just had to create mm-hmm. uh so for me i've i we kind of pushed you into it uh a little bit no i i wanted to though like i uh for for the few years that i was playing i got into it in fourth edition and um, and we had a dungeon master who was really good, and so nobody was ever going to say, no, somebody else is going to be the DM. Um, but, but when I uh, switched jobs and moved away from that guy, um, we, we played a campaign. Uh, we played through uh, the Tomb of Annihilation, uh, and Alex was our DM on that. Uh, and then I, I just, I, I always wanted to be a dungeon master. I had these stories going through my head, and I was, I've got to get these out. And, uh, and so I just 
asked. <laughs> That's kind of the, the. We were like, yes, Jeremy, you can DM the next session, like the next game. <laughs> uh, for me, it was kind of it's, it's kind of similar, and then I, I had so many like ideas, mm-hmm. right? Like I. I dream about fantasy worlds that I then try to wake up and then write it down before I forget. I right. I just love creating worlds and, and characters and stuff that like I feel like if I just you know write it down, people aren't gonna see it. Mm-hmm. So if I get all my friends together and bribe them with snacks and I tell them about these characters, <laughs> I'll get them to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, snacks and beer. Just yeah. Get some beer and I'm there. That's that they're that's, there. That's yeah, all that's that takes me. That's all you need. Yeah. Um, so that's how I like I like really got into D and D right was like I want to tell people about these cool ideas I have. But then when it came to DMing, I started DMing because the first time I ever like played D and D like seriously, not like just kind of looking at rule books and stuff. I was at my friend's house and his uncle was DMing, and he gave us his book of I think it was I think it was fourth edition at that time. Like that was the first like serious campaign I was in, and he gave us a book of treasure. Like just magical items. We had two and a half hours to look at it and get any three things we want, just just for our character, right? Any three things we want from the fourth edition book of treasures, and then ten minutes into the adventure, we were shipwrecked and lost all of our items. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided I'm going to DM and not do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was initiated into it. So my very first D&D group, we had a rotating DM rule, and so I joined in and I was like 11 or 12 and they forced me to be the dm as kind of like initiation i didn't realize this but behind the curtains they were like okay do everything we can to screw up his campaign <laughs> so i have like this story and i so that sounds like it's a recurring theme with you yes okay i feel like people do that without planning to anyway oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's kind if, of if you saw or not. if you saw the live dnd session i know a couple of people who are here from that like my, my style of playing comes from that like i said i'm the terrorist so, um, but anyway, they got they got behind the curtain and they said, "Hey, let's do everything we can to wreck it." And that was kind of like they weren't bullying or picking on me, but the idea was like, "Think on your feet." So I come up with this big story, and they killed the main guy of my story. And so I was just like, "What do I do?" And they just wrecked it. And that was kind of the biggest learning experience. And then from then on, after that, it was like, I like I don't want to scare anyone from playing D and D, but like I the my my uh, future DMs, they had a habit of telling us, no, you can't do that. They put us on like a railroad, which is good to, you know, to begin. Uh, but I kind of wanted a little bit more wiggle room to play. And so if I wanted that type of game, I had to DM it. So that's, I just jumped right in. And then from there, I went into other systems. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's funny. I think I started D- like actually DMing. I've played for, uh, for a long time, but DMing was actually our lunch group. I just happened to get a copy of Tomb of Annihilation to review for Slug, and they were when they were asking about like, hey, would you be interested in D- in doing a D- Dungeons and Dragons group? I was like, oh, that's perfect timing. I just got this full-on campaign, and so not realizing that, I was like, oh, and I guess I'll DM it. So, and I wanted to to be to be to be fair, because it was, but it was that was, and also because even though I'd worked with everybody for a little bit, um, that was like my first time. I was like, okay, I don't really know anyone I'm playing with. This could be a disaster, <laughs> but. But it actually ended up being extremely fun. We have a really good group that we played with, and like that, when we kind of would all joke about this, that's like why we would get excited to go to work. It's like, yeah. oh, we're playing D and D at lunch. So, um, that's one thing I regret about uh, <laughs> resigning yesterday. Uh, well, D and D lunch group. You can still come. I mean, we'll let you in. Just sneak in. <laughs> yeah. So, 
So, but so, we, but we got through the entire Tomb of Annihilation. We played for like six months, six just months. a couple, a couple times a week, an hour at a time. And I guess it was like something a switch flipped in my head when I understood how how it worked and how DMing would work and how you you know improvisation can kind of move the story forward and how like letting characters do that you know, yeah go explore that rock like, <laughs> and then we'll make something cool happen out of that rock um, and then we'll kill your undead T-Rex and then I'll throw an undead T-Rex at you that you'll wrap up with a giant python and throw into a river which all legally happened yep. so <laughs> but so I guess so, awesome. so I guess so, and then since then it's been I've been really interested in just like writing shorter little one shot campaigns to run just because it's it's just been fun to like think about okay how can I make like design a game like here's a funny idea for a campaign how can I build a game around that and how can I build like so I guess it, it was it was that sort of shaky beginning like I don't know if I'm going to be any good at this to like falling into it and and now it's yeah I've been kind of obsessed with it for, for the past little bit so yeah so thinking back to the first game you ever dm'd was there anything that you think you would have done differently as you started that campaign I would have punished the murder hobos. <laughs> like, so there's something that, I, as for all DMs, like, it, we all have various problems sometimes. Um, so my first problem was the murder hobos. I didn't know how to actually handle that. Uh, we might need some context, murder yeah. hobos. Oh, okay. So for those who don't know what murder yeah. hobos are, so there's the mechanic, the, the, the pure mechanic in D&D is if you kill something, you get experience points, you get whatever is on them. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of players will have this mentality of, well, there's a city full of defenseless people. There were 25 experience points each. <laughs> we can probably net 250 experience points oh, per geez. person. Like it's just, just farm everyone. So, so there's, that's a problem sometimes because it's not necessarily fun for the DM. It may not be fun for the people who don't want to play that way. And I didn't know how to handle that. Um, Do you think that might have be, be a, a, a more current trend for people that have come from playing? Uh, MMORPGs. Yes, mm-hmm. and that. Yeah, I think actually, I think for 4E, which was based off of video games in general, right. uh, I think that kind of encouraged it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's why. That's why they changed it so much in 5E, which for me, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's ways to handle it. So one way, I, one thing I would have done differently is like, okay, they killed this main NPC. Bounty hunters got hired to hunt you guys down, and these guys are not kidding. And they study their targets, and they know what classes you are, and they know what your abilities are because they do their homework. There are ways to do that, and then you can turn it into a whole other campaign. Or I know one other DM, he actually found a note off of one of the dead bodies of the person he killed, and it was a note from that character's five-year-old daughter saying, <laughs> we want to see you home for the holiday and stuff, and they I felt so guilty. Yes. <laughs> and they felt so guilty. Um, so I would have just probably thought a little bit more in that direction. I got the party to, to feel guilty about killing a goblin with a, a note like that. That's mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was great. Especially now, that poor little Now pixie. that spread mm-hmm. off into its whole own story about Grisha and Graga and mm-hmm. keeping them alive. They killed we their actually, dad. We actually felt so guilty. We let these goblins just leave this cave. We're like, just go, just go. Alex <laughs> still has baby Graga's birthday present. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. My character was cool with it. She's like, yeah, goblins. <laughs> I, I'm lucky. I have a group where I can like, oh, here's an NPC. If I give them a name that sort of rhymes with one of my character's names, they will die for that character no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, I don't know why you're attached to this random character. I don't like this character, but I guess I'll keep it around for you. <laughs> On the subject of murder hobos, uh, we, we kind of transitioned our campaign into a milestone chapter-based mm -hmm. kind of campaign. And, and because when we were going through Tomb of Annihilation, there were a few times where, uh, where we ran into enemies who, who begged us to let them go. And we were like, but... Experience. Experience. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're we're so close to level 14, though. <laughs> uh -huh. um, and so we'd we'd kill them, obviously. Uh, and so none none of us liked it. None of us felt good about it. Uh, and so we were like, all right, you walk away with a dark feeling. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like a, a piece of me is left behind. Um, and so so that's that was our uh, response to that. And we we do consequences and stuff. We've got mm -hmm. a character. Who is always trying to uh, just just push the buttons of whatever NPC I've introduced them to, and so I try and react how that NPC is going to react. And sometimes poorly. it's a cloud giant yeah. locking you in a Autolux sphere, and mm -hmm. yeah. So there's all the the consequence things. Sometimes people, sometimes players feel a little bit like they're cheated when the consequences happen. But I think that that's what really makes the game feel more real for people. Anyone else? Um, I think in general, I would not have been so crunchy with the rules. I think that like, yeah. as the GM, uh, the story and the adventure and the experience for you and your players is really the most important thing. You, 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 know, you want to have a good time. You're there with your friends, and, and you don't want anybody feeling like they've been cheated or like... You know, so so I think uh, I for me I always anything I would have done differently early on was was not to be so rigid with the rules and, and mm -hmm. think more about the general gameplay of the whole campaign as opposed to well you you know you didn't make that hit and so now your character's dead or you know or whatever you know I mean uh, I, I certainly uh, there's there are consequences for sure. But just, you know, uh, sometimes you can let a couple of things slide for the sake of the story. Experience first, rules second. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And not experience points, but experience yeah, exactly. of... <laughs> no murder hobos. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My... So, so something I mentioned uh, earlier was, like, I'm big on improv. And my first time DMing, that was not the case. I was very... I was very much, you know, this is the story, and they're going to follow along. That was, right. like, my very first time. I it, Like... I had dialogue written for an NPC, and I was like <laughs> waiting for them to give the prompt, and then I'd read the dialogue. See, that never happens. No, yeah. that's, that's the thing about being a GM. It's like you know, you can create this entire cave adventure with 70 levels, and they're gonna go in there tonight, and then they get to the edge of the cave, and one of the players goes, "Nah, eh, I don't want to go in the cave." Pub <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. back here. Let's go. That's the game, you know, it's the ultimate open world. So like kind of the same, like it, it was a rigidness, not in rules, but just in story. Like, right. Like, okay, you're not, the they want to go, they wanna go yes. north to the city and not south to the small village. Like, well, you can't do that. I don't have to prepare it. You know, that's <laughs> so, not an acceptable answer. So have you had an incident where, like, you're describing the field around them, and you say, like, there's this particular tree that's got this colored bark, and they go check it out, and you're like, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> that, do, yeah. that does happen. Yeah, they'll, like, a lot of times they'll, they'll be like, what's in this area? And I'm like, oh, there's, uh, uh, you know, a tree in a field. 
And they're just like, oh, that's got to mean something. And I'm like, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's better than just a flat grass plain. Yeah, nothing, true. You, you know? can't just You're say, oh, the there's a hill. most mundane time. environment you can imagine. <laughs> now move on. <laughs> when you have somebody who approaches you um, about wanting to join a game they've never played before, what are some things you do to kind of bring them into the world as a dungeon master? Uh, I've I'm a total mom there. <laughs> yeah, I, totally. I walk them through every little step. Well, and I think that you kind of like, for, for me, because I've kind of played with uh, younger players a little bit before and kind of not, like, I guess giving them the the flexibility to get as involved or as not involved with their characters they want to be, because I think sometimes, because uh, I did, just did some like pre-generated characters and kind of told a little bit about what they do and stuff like that, and kind of let them like this is again talk about my uh, nieces, I, I, and I just kind of tell them like, okay, here's what this character does, here's what this character does, and then they just pick like that one sounds cool, and then from there you like, I I, I kind of like just letting them kind of letting people be as invested or as or if as they want to be in the character I think and and also I I also think that the the rules should be more of a guideline for because that's I don't know I I as a kind of I had played with people who were very rules centric and it kind of you know it, it, it for me that's that's kind of my personal style is I, I kind of like to use them as setup but not like absolutes so I think that, that I think flexibility but it's kind of a tricky balance too, because at the same time you don't want, like, you don't want any invest, or you don't want them to not get invested. But sometimes it's tricky. So like mechanically, um, anyone who's jumping, it depends if they're like brand new into D and D or if they played before. And more commonly for me, it, they're they're brand new, and so that becomes tricky. Uh, but mechanically, what I do is I will uh, tell them, okay, you're going to start off with a level one character when the group's level eight, but I'm gonna give you the health of a level eight character and like the resistances and like the skills of a level eight character, but your abilities are gonna start level one just so you have a handle on it. And you're allowed to level yourself up up to level eight or seven whenever you feel comfortable that you've got a hold on your character and your abilities. Because if you throw a brand new person into D&D who's never played before and then give them that high of a level character with all these abilities, they are going to get lost, and they're going to start freaking out about like if they're playing the game wrong. Yeah. So that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just start give. I just say, okay, you're going to have this much health. It's not a level one character health, but it's so that you don't die. Um, sometimes I'll give them like a magic item to kind of like encourage them a little bit to take risks. Um, but then once they feel comfortable that they have a handle on it, they level their characters up, and I help them with that process. So when you say like people that are you know new to D and D, I I deal with different kinds of new to D&D. Like, when, I, when I'm at work, I, I sell D&D. That's, that's my job. And when I'm at work, the people that will usually come up to me and say, hey, tell me about D&D, they already know something about it. They, maybe they play Pathfinder, or maybe their roommate plays D&D, or they watch Critical Role or something. They usually know about it. And for them, it's more of a, a matter of saying, all right, D&D works like this. Let's do, like, a simple combat. Let's just learn the mechanics for these people that know more about RPGs than others. So, all right, okay, let's play Pathfinder for 10 minutes. Let's roll some dice. For people that have, like, no experience at all with D&D, they've never played an RPG, and I'm like, maybe I'm just trying to convince them to try it. They're not coming to me. For those kinds of people, it's very much, uh, you know, have you seen Lord of the Rings? And if so, yes, then it's like, okay, you start as 
you start as Mary and you can level up into Aragorn. It's like, that, that's it. You know, don't, don't care about the rules. You start as a wimp and you level up something cool. And that's pretty much all they need to know. Uh, so for me, because I've been teaching kids how to play it uh, fairly recently, one thing that's uh, that's been really interesting, I do a lot of the stuff that everyone here has been talking about, but, but one thing that I keep running into is parents who are afraid that uh, that d and is bad and that it's going to teach their kids to, to do bad stuff. Uh, but uh, there, was, there was this one kid who, uh, in, our, in our group, he was the shy one. He was the, the one who was trying to be really cool. And, um, and he, never, he never opened up to his parents about uh, his feelings, his emotions, anything like that. And so in, in our campaign, it was our first session, um, I made him be like... Uh, we had like a Hogwarts for D&D going on and he was the, the representative from the Dragonborn people and the, the queen came to town and like invited him up on her little chair to sit with her and, uh, and like she, he, was, he was her champion for, for this session and, and he did great in the fight and he opened up and he had a blast and he went home and talked to his mom about it. And then his mom called me, and she's like, "Thank you so much. This was so cool." And um, and and he's been opening up to us about like the way he feels and and stuff ever since then. And so so that was that was my first step into like teaching kids how to play D D and D. But um, uh, but that was with all pre-made characters. We've got a, a party coming up where I'm gonna walk them through coming up with their own character concepts and then building the character. And, uh, and running a little uh, campaign, getting everybody started in it. But, yeah. You have a lot of experience in this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we, we were talking about Critical Role, and and the um, so the head of, of video at Geek and Sundry came up to me and he goes, "Look, Critical Role is far and away our most successful show, but if you don't know D and D, it's hard to follow." He's like, "I don't know D and D, and like." I watch it and I get confused, and that was the idea behind Starter Kit because what we wanted to do was take people that didn't know anything about D&D at all and sort of explain it, you know, in little 45-minute episodes. And uh, so what we did with that is I had people roll for their stats. We started from the very, very beginning. Um, I, I really like the idea of of giving somebody, if you're bringing in someone into an ongoing campaign that's never played, giving them the hit points of, of that. <laughs> that's a great But, you know, in general, I would, I, I would tend to not bring in somebody into a high-level game that never played before, but if I, w if I were to do that in the future, that's what I would do, uh, for sure. Well, um, I would have a separate gaming session, though, for, with even if we were starting at level one, with that person, so that they would feel more comfortable. I mean, one of the things about D&D, as a lot of you know, is if you're portraying a character it's so much safer to say and do things that you would never do in real life. But what I think that that does is that, especially for kids, is it teaches them um, self-confidence and courage in a, in a place that's safe and hopefully 
you know, I mean, I, I've seen it really help a lot of people um, sort of develop into better people from from playing the game. So um, it's it is kind of funny that at any point that it was considered evil. And I do want to say real fast as well that another another thing that comes up for me, especially for people that are used to D and D. Um, I have a rule because for my first few years DMing, someone did this every single campaign. I now have a rule where I do not allow any players to play a dark elf ranger who do wields. <laughs> every session there was a dark elf ranger who do wields. I don't understand how. I'm so sorry. Popular character. <laughs> so we all have fun stories from our D&D games. What are some of your favorite stories or your favorite stories being a DM? Uh, in a campaign, what's what's the best thing that's ever happened oh. in, a, in a session or a game? I'm thinking in, in Tomb of Annihilation when we fought the King of Feathers, the cooler version of the zombie T-Rex that you guys killed really easily. Because <laughs> the King of the well, I get and so the King of Feathers was a special T-Rex for the campaign, and it could like vomit wasps at you yeah. and stuff like that. But like we had a character who was doing a sorcerer with the chaos magic with wild magic going, yes. and like. He rolled just the weirdest stuff. Like I and and I and so what? So how I was kind of setting it up because he had kind of cast a few different spells, and so I think the funnest part of that was kind of explaining. Okay, here's what happens because it was. I think he was in the creature's mouth at the time, and so he he like cast a lightning bolt spell that like exploded the creature's head, and then as he was as his character was falling, all of the effects from wild magic took place, and I think like he. His character shrunk a few feet, turned blue, cast a fireball spell. I think it knocked out our um, druid. Elliot was. Uh-huh. It knocked him. Yep. Put drop dropped the druid to zero hit points because he was in butterflies the butterflies of light. Oh yeah, and then butterflies flew around, and just just as it was all kind of happening, I just felt like okay, this you can't make like that's just something that happened organically with all these people here. We kind of all just kind of made this funny moment that you you know you wouldn't be able to see that anywhere like that's and why so, we don't play with chaos magic kids no yeah <laughs> it, and it was just every role was just the right thing to make it like just super memorable so so i that yeah i i, I really like that like because yeah it felt like it was a group effort to just like okay what could we add to this to make it ridiculous so yeah <laughs> i like that um so I can think of two but I'll, I'll go into one in detail but like one of them was two of horrors who knows that no one knows Tomb of Horrors again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four-armed gargoyle got polymorphed into a bunny rabbit, and then they like tamed the bunny rabbit, and that became like their attack dog for the campaign. So that was that was one that was one. Um, but the the most memorable moment had to come from the last campaign that I just did with Nerd Dome, and uh, we. I, we had the feeling that this campaign was going to go for a while because everyone was consistent, everyone loved it. And so I'm trying to think of like a long-term story, and one of the players comes up to me and he says, hey, I don't know if this is possible, can I be the villain? And I, was, I sat there and I was like, I've never done this before. Yes, let's work it out. <laughs> so we had a story for him. What, what, uh, what justified him being level one is that he was once an all-powerful lich but he ended up getting killed by his apprentice, Eserak, and got um, his soul put into someone at level one. And so he was like, he's trying to get his power back. And so over the course of two years, we and this player, we would drop hints about this character's motive, that he was going to find a way to generate a body for himself 
the fight. And he created a second character, and all the other players thought that he had just a dual personality problem. So he had one character for when he rolled a 20, and then he had another character whenever he rolled like a 19 and below. And the 19 below was the villain. And so occasionally he would get this other character out, and everyone just like ignored it. They thought it was just a <laughs> weird habit that he had. But no, what ended up happening was after two years of the campaign, we revealed like, okay, he does this ritual, and now he has a body for himself, and like kills Sarah right in front of everyone, and everyone freaks out. And turned out he was the villain. And, at, and then they, we just kind of sat there and went over, okay, these were the hints that we dropped. And they're like, that was really obvious. We're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, then the final, the final fight was against a character that journeyed with them since level one. And that was a fantastic ending. That's awesome. Uh, so I think that is probably the coolest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, my favorite moment happened kind of recently. Uh, I, my party has been playing for, I think, I, I want to say a year or so, but I have no sense of time. I think a little over a year. And they've been adventuring in Tamriel, which is uh, like Elder Scrolls. Mm-hmm. And they, I, for the last few months, I, I've kind of been talking about this like all-powerful wizard character who is going to like solve all their problems for them, sort of. And they journeyed across like desolate wasteland for months to get to this wizard character who is so all-powerful that he just he could be he could become a god if he wanted to he's just not interested (laughs) he just finds that way too boring and he's so powerful that he just doesn't really care about the party so he's not going to help them that much (laughs) so it's not like he's just going to solve the whole thing but you know he'll still help out a little bit so my favorite moment is like just building up to this up to this character and they finally get to see him, and he's kind of this disinterested, bored wizard. You know, like Gandalf had just lived forever and decided he was bored with it. <laughs> so I build up to this wizard, finally get there. They All, all the characters ask, can ask him a single question, whether it's about the plot or their own characters or whatever. And one of my characters, or one of my players, um, her character was, you know, like born in one place, her parents died, and then was raised by different people. And I remember... You know, she asked, like, this all-powerful wizard, hey, you know, where are my real parents? And I was like, okay, I could just tell her, oh, they died in some battle. But instead I decided to say, oh, you know, your real parents are the parents that raised you, right? They're not the people that, that, you know, died or whatever. Your real parents are the family you grew up with. And it was, like, this heartfelt moment that just, like, that was my favorite moment. Just, like, it felt very, like, real almost. And... I think that was my favorite moment, was just building up to that wizard and then having him be, like, just kind of heartfelt. That's awesome. I've been so, like, transfixed by your guys' stories, I'm <laughs> really prepared. Um, uh, there's so many. Uh, I think one of my favorites was um, we were we were doing a, a level one campaign with some friends, and uh, every, it was from the, the same Hogwarts for D&D kind of campaign. And... Um, we, they went into this arena and they had to prove that all that they had learned in school by, uh, by killing a couple cockatrices, and uh, immediately somebody got turned to stone, and then on the next turn somebody else got turned to stone, and it came down to one person was left against the cockatrice, and the cockatrice just started rolling bad all of a sudden, and it just became this whole just the whole crowd was cheering and going crazy uh, and uh, this 
this orc was pounding on this uh, cockatrice, and it came down to the the, the last hit. Uh, one of them was gonna die, and um, and they both missed like six turns in a row. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, how many more rounds can I say? The crowd's just anxious. They're on the edge of their seats still. Um, and and finally, he the the player landed the final hit, and the the whole like I went into I, I probably went a little overboard. I'm a little wordy, um, uh, but I, I went a little overboard with how the crowd was going crazy and people were throwing stuff down and. Um, and I had this NPC character in there who I was, I was kind of holding on to uh, this magic item that he had that he was going to give to the players. And I was like, this is, this is the moment. This is, this is where it's going to get cool. And so I had this, this character jumps down and everybody goes quiet because this is uh, uh, the, the biggest lizard born or lizard folk that anybody had ever seen. And he kind of walks up and he sticks his hand out to uh, like looking like he's going to punch him. And then he's like, my man, and pulls for a fist bump and gives, yeah. him, gives him this this ring that he was wearing that fit the character like a like a, a bracelet. And just everybody was just, it was awesome because everybody was so invested in this fight and cheering on this one character as they're all turned to stone. <laughs> um, and yeah, that was that was one of my favorites. That was, I think, my first or second session as a DM. Nice. A lot of fun. Cool. Went for the fist bump second well, time. Bump. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't gone to the fist bump yet. Oh, it's, it's worth it. You'll get there. Maybe it'll be a lizard man wizard fist bump. For me, uh, actually, it's something that I got to do, and this was on stream too. So um, on the show Foreververse, Ivan Van Norman was the DM or the GM, but he's also the producer of the broadcast of International Tabletop Day every year. So he was getting ready for that, so he let some of us players be, be the GM for, for certain weeks. So uh, what I decided to do for my, for my time as GM on the stream was um, I decided we were all going to play basic D&D. There was this weird, in 1980, there was this weird rule book that came out by TSR uh, called Basic D&D. So it was different than, uh, it was different than Dungeons and Dragons and different than Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Just this one set of rules that came out in 1980. It was basic and uh, expert. <laughs> and it, it had very strange uh, rules that they never really went back to about a lot of things. And I said, okay, we're gonna play basic D&D. We're gonna call this back to basic. And, uh, and we're gonna, everyone's gonna start at level one. And uh, in basic D&D, clerics have no spells at level one. Oh, <laughs> they have their first spell at level two. <laughs> so it was just really interesting to see people react to it, and I made them characters sort of based on their own personalities, and, uh, and that was just a, a, a fun romp. It was supposed to be a one-off, and it turned into a three-off. Uh, so. Nice. Right, so we have about ten minutes left, so I'd like to open up the panel for any questions from the audience. So if you have a question, just raise up your hand. No questions? No questions, really. Candace. So you were just saying that these people were developing characters based on their own personality traits. Mm-hmm. How well were they able to actually identify their own personality traits? Or did you have to jump to the top of that? Well, I made, I, like, I, I took each one and sort of changed their name around and made the, made the character description 
I, I had an artist make make sort of cartoon versions of them. So I think from that, they were just so amused that they jumped right in. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. Uh, I actually have two questions, if that's okay. Fine. Time. Uh, the first one is, uh, how do you feel about the importance of music uh, when you're playing in the session? Like the importance of ambiance and you know battle music and whatnot. Are there any specific soundtracks you use? The second one was, uh, do you have any uh, table rules? Sort of like etiquette and making sure that players don't do this or that during the actual session. Sure, I'll begin. Spotify is a yeah. great resource. I put together. <laughs> you pay a lot. five bucks, and there's like five playlists for D and D stuff. Uh, you get some weird songs on there, but like a couple of rules for for music is uh, you don't want the music to take the the stage front, right? So you can't play Visigoth Dungeon Master because <laughs> that will be way too distracting. You want something to be kind of gentle, and and that gives gives the the the, the stage to the players. So a good example of that is Skyrim Atmospheres. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great song. It's a 45-minute, just kind of gentle music. As far as table, like house rules, um, I got two. We always have a – well, one was integrated recently, one I had for a long time. The recent one was uh, we do a session zero, and we kind of like discuss the campaign. This is kind of what we want to do, and that's just kind of something I've always done. Another house rule that I've got, <clears throat> whenever we – Whenever anyone wants to have an evil character campaign, we have to have a very special kind of like, all right, this is what it means to be evil. These are the borders we will not cross. This is what I will not role play. Because a lot of people get confused about evil, and there's a lot of touchy things that can happen that will make people uncomfortable. And that's just something that unless we have that session, you know, unless I know exactly what your viewpoint is on, on evil, I don't want you to role play that and make other people feel uncomfortable and then have the group disperse because of that. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're playing the game to escape the evils of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're, we're trying to have a good time and kind of forget about, that, you know, anything bad that's happening in our lives. So bringing that in uh, with an evil it's risky. campaign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I totally get it. Uh, when it comes to uh, music, just to real fast, when it comes to music, I think the number one thing is that it needs to be easy to not realize that it's there. It needs to be easy to just like fade into your subconscious because it still affects your mood. But if you realize, like if you're actively listening to the music, I feel like it might detract from the game. And then just real fast, you know, as far as table rules go, a session zero is just the best thing you can do. Yeah. Meet and talk about boundaries. Uh, you know, in my opinion, D&D should be a very safe place for everyone. Everyone should be comfortable. And they should know like what lines to not, not to cross, and so I think it's very important just to meet and talk about boundaries and lines. I just realized that we, they probably don't session zero. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar right. with the term, uh, before you actually officially begin your campaign, the session zero is the time you meet before that, where you kind of discuss rules, setting, make characters, as make well. characters, mm-hmm. and then the next time you guys get together, you actually begin. So that's right. session zero. I was just looking up this band that I'm going to mangle the name for. They're one of my favorites for music. Kikagaku Moyu. I believe they're <laughs> Japanese. I'm totally going to mangle that if you need if you want to come chat with me, but that I can I can show I'll show it to you so you can find them. Uh, yes. Yeah, sure. Um but that one kind of got me started on thinking about like setting up a playlist for okay, here's your ambient stuff when you're just like hanging out you're you're not really fighting but then i also think it's important to have fight music i th- i'm a big fan of fight music um 
and like off the top of my head I, I think I get the most of my stuff for my playlist just I mean I was I rip off the Horizon Zero Dawn soundtrack I'll just play that because that really that's got like some amazing music so I would say if you're looking for I, I mean pick the take the music from the movies and video games that you like and incorporate that because then that's the other kind of thing I like about playing is it's kind of like okay I'm, I'm inventing a video game and I don't have to know anything about software development or <laughs> game design and then I can just rip off people's music so yeah um, but so I, I, I kind of will have separate playlists for like different sort of to, to accomplish different different things but um, and then, yeah, I, the session zero is a good idea, actually. I, I think that, like, especially if you're getting with a new, a new group, um, you kind of talk, think, talk about that. Like, and I also, I also think it's interesting to run campaigns for evil characters, but then you have to really, I think that if you're gonna go that route, you have to be a little bit more strict because, again, you can't just have somebody who's like, well, I'm like the Joker, I'm just gonna kill everybody. Just it's set like, every keep on fire that you walk into. Right. It's much, yeah, it's much more restrictive to do evil. Yeah, you ha I think you have to like really throw out the, if, if, that's, yeah, if that's how your party wants to roll, mm -hmm. you kind of say, okay, but you still like have to trust each other somehow. Like you can't just say, oh, I'm evil, I'm just gonna turn on my, my the person I'm playing with and we're just gonna fight, because like, it gets chaotic. Yeah. yeah. It's just not. It doesn't work. It's not fun. It gets chaotic. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Yes. Any other questions? Um, there was someone who had. Yeah. yeah. So we'll start in the back with you. Yeah, I just want to know how you feel about killing off characters because, like, I have a DM that will never ever do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. It's worth it when you actually have a character die in your campaign. I've I've had. What it I always say. Sorry to interrupt, but no, what I always okay. say is that, like, as a DM, I do not kill my players. They, however, will kill themselves all yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm fully on board for that. Yeah. So, like, if I say, I'm not just going to be like, okay, yeah, an Elder Dragon comes down, you're level two. It's like, okay, that's that's fine. But, you know, if I say, oh, here's this, you know, this guardian to this ancient cave, and there's hundreds of adventurers who have items way, way better than what you have strewn about dead, you know, the whole army is destroyed, and then the wizard's like, yeah, I'm going to use a uh, firebolt cantrip. Like, okay, you're gonna die. Like, sorry, but you're just gonna kill yourself. Like, and my, he sometimes dice kills him. So yeah. Uh, my thing is, I I like to I, I really like killing characters at level one, but not not permadeath. You know, I I like to knock everyone out, right? So, yeah, yeah. We got oh, knocked yeah. out pretty at the first game. I think you yeah. knocked us all out. All but so. one. All yeah. except for ramen. Yeah, Twice. that's right. Yeah. In, in level one. Um, but it built because character. It, it builds character. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it lets people know what the stakes are. Yeah. As far as like actually killing a character off like for reals, um, I am a firm believer that the players have invested a lot of their time and their their personality and their efforts into this character. So if I'm going to kill a character off, I want to send them off in the most epic of ways. You know, I want I want to make it worth it so that. Later on, when they're talking about how their character died, it's something that they're proud of. That they're like, mm -hmm. oh man, I, I almost, almost had this cockatrice. But uh, it, it was, we were punching each other over and over, but he, he got me finally, and it was an epic battle. You know, you want to send him off with a cool story because it's the experience that matters. Mm -hmm. 
when when Spartacus was killed off in our first campaign, mm-hmm. even the even us, the, the players who weren't killed off, we were like, oh my God, what we can do? We got to save him. What? There's nothing there. He's ash, yeah. and none of us had any spells to bring him back. So it was it was like this. It final was pre-written in the in the campaign that that's how you have to. It wasn't my fault. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I can't help you. It says right here in the campaign. You just if you if you go to zero hit points, you just die. Like that's it. But luckily, <laughs> he was very willing to pick up another character we had brought with us. This little which frog he was guy. a little frog man who became yeah. a very powerful. Cleric, yeah, so, so it was pretty awesome. It worked so out. It, yeah. works, it works well. So, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just going to add one last thing. Um, when it comes to players acting stupid, and when I say stupid, I mean like they know that's a dumb thing to do, but they just want to test your boundaries, like a toddler that keeps on like, <laughs> like don't touch it, it's hot, and they keep doing it. Like I am merciless. I will punish them. I'll be like, you know that thing is going to kill you, so it's, you're dead. But when it comes to like tactical, 5e is very generous with how you die, and there's five different ways via spells that you can come, come back, back to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never happened in my most recent campaigns because every, everyone's pretty powerful. Uh, but when it comes down to just players not caring, yeah. Okay, so no. we'll go with you, and then we'll try to get all three of you. We've got about four minutes left, so start with you in the back, Assassin's Creed shirt. Okay. Have you ever brought in other outside sources, other games to help along with your campaign? What yeah. did you bring in and how did it work? So, um, the, the Tomb of Horrors story that I told you about, like we were actually playing Pathfinder, and I took in tons of. If anyone knows what Pathfinder is, it's basically when Dungeons and Dragons went to fourth edition, like half the people hated it. So they wanted to stick with Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, and so Pathfinder came from that. Um, so whenever I wanted to do or pull stuff from Dungeons and Dragons or Wheel of Time or things like that, um, it, it was it was a very compatible system. So I would take Dungeons and Dragons material and just kind of tweak the numbers a little bit for Pathfinder. What I do frequently is I take Pathfinder material and tweak it for my 5e for my Dungeons and Dragons um, campaign. Well, all you have really have to do is you have to kind of just understand the concept behind the original source material and how do you mimic that concept in the current game system. Uh, and it's easier to do than you think. It's, it, you just have to sit down and kind of okay. like draft it. Speed round. You, you, we're done. Okay? I've seen people use tarot cards. Oh, that's actually that mm. <laughs> So, that's speed cool. round. How do you get your players not to kill each other? <laughs> <laughs> Don't stop them. Let them. They, then they'll stop playing. I guess that's yeah. you, you, you kind of have to set that up at the beginning. You have to set it. That's where your ground rules come in. If, like, I guess you would know. Like, if you know you're going to play with a group of people that are going to, you know, you can kind of tell they're going to butt heads. Or, and I guess maybe you don't know, always have that option. But I think that's why you, you, you kind of set out sort of a practice run and say, okay, you, the, this character is really going to be into, like, optimizing and tricking out their character. This character just kind of wants, it's just here to hang out. So I guess it's kind of a, a mixture of setting up ground rules to kind of help players sort of get along and then also as a dm you kind of have to manage that and reroute any weird conflicts i don't know it's it's but it's that's a very good question i guess yeah something i do is like like i have a player who's evil and has skeletons other players are good and do light (laughs) magic and stuff like that and it's kind of like i don't know if you guys would agree but sometimes it's like all the other players need to kind of just overlook that he has this army of skeletons that he's ripped out of dead bodies. Like, that's an important <laughs> part of his character. Like, and in character, go. they would disagree with that, but, like, that's a big part of his character, so they don't want to just, like, stop him from doing it for no reason. So it's kind of like, we just kind of need, like, suspension of disbelief there. That said, the cleric accidentally kills them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Okay, so we're out of time, but go ahead. We'll go down the line. You can tell us once again where we can find you and uh, your names and all of that fun stuff. Okay. Uh, so again, I'm Alex Springer. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at um, at Captain Springer. Um, and again, just uh, my my week. I have a weekly food column for City Weekly. You want to check that out? Um, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And he's on Heroes Feast. Oh, and in Heroes Feast as yep. well. Yeah. So. Dungeon Master Mike, Nerd Dome Podcast, I'm an occasional guest. I also occasionally write for them. You can find me on Twitter as MercifulDM or at Michael Sonora. Um, also, if you guys, if any of you are new to, to Dungeons and Dragons and want to kind of learn how to play, or you've just recently started, at four o'clock in the in the room, I'm having a Dungeons and Dragons for beginner session. One today, I started at four, and then another one tomorrow. I think it's at two. Um, so feel free to stop by and learn the rules. Uh, my name is Tyson. Uh, I work at Oasis Games in downtown Salt Lake. Um, I don't have any social media or anything, but I would love if you guys came on down and just said hi to me at the store. Uh, I'd be happy to help you out. Actual social interaction. <laughs> you can add me, you can add me on Facebook if you're cool. <laughs> uh, I'm Jeremy Christensen. You can find me on Twitter at Jared Christensen. Uh, I'm on Facebook, too. Um, and uh, and yeah, you can find me on Heroes Beast podcast. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm Jason Charles Miller, and at Facebook and Instagram, on, on Twitter, I'm Jason C. Miller. Uh, I host Starter Kit on Geek and Sundry. I'm also a frequent guest star on Sirens of the Realms on the DD Twitch channel. Um, and uh, you can find me on uh, Geek and Sundry Nerdist uh, places like that. And he's an amazing musician. Check out his music too. Oh, thank right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Talk to you guys.